Loving family members and loved ones isn't always easy, and it's made that much harder when they're an addict. If that's your life, then you need to listen into this episode. You're listening to the Dynamic Women Podcast. Each week, you'll be inspired by our global community of women. They'll share with you tools and stories to help you be dynamic in every area of life. He's your host, award-winning coach, and the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, Diane Ralston. Hello, lovely Dynamic Women, and welcome to the Dynamic Women podcast. I am Diane Ralston, your host, and today we have a very special guest with us, Candice Platter. Hi, Candice. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. It's so good to have you here because, you know, we're going to talk about how to love an addict and stay healthy, especially during the holiday season. And if you're watching this, listening to this later, and it's not the holiday season, you still need to listen up because there's going to be so many amazing tips from Candice that it's going to help you in any period of life. So before we get into it, let me just share with you audience a little bit more about Candice. So Candice Platter, M-A-R-C-C, is an addictions therapist in private practice, where she specializes in working with the family and other loved ones of people who are struggling with addiction. In her unique and signature family addiction counseling and therapy program, as a former opioid addict with over 35 years clean and sober... I feel like that just deserves its own little clap here. Yes. Candace has learned that overcoming addiction is a family condition. Everyone in the family is affected by addiction and everyone needs to heal. For more than three decades, she has been helping both addicts and their loved ones understand their dysfunctional behaviors and make healthier life choices. Wow. You got quite the story, Candace. I do have quite the story. Yes. Yeah. Let, let's start with that because knowing your background, I think is important. A lot of times I bring on guests that are experts in something, but they've also lived the experience. So maybe you can yeah. share a little bit more about your journey. Sure. Well, I think the important, first of all, hi, everyone. <laughs> um, the, the really important part of my journey started when I was about 23. So that was a long time ago. I had been out for lunch with a friend. And shortly after that, started to feel very, very ill, you know, with the kind of symptoms that nobody likes to talk about, like diarrhea and nausea and that kind of stuff. And we both thought I had food poisoning because those were the symptoms, right? But it never got better. Not for a very long time. It didn't get better. I was sick, so sick for a very long time. Finally, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease which is an inflammatory bowel disease. And most people know what that is today. They either have it or know somebody who has it. But when I was diagnosed with it, it was the new disease on the block. And the doctors had no idea really what it was or what to do for me. Many of them told me it was just in my head and I should just get better, which was not helpful at all. What they did, because, you know, addiction was not on the radar at that point, certainly not the way it is today. And they, I don't think they had any idea of what they were unleashing upon me. What they did was they gave me a whole lot of addictive medications, I found out later, 
I knew nothing about addiction, never even crossed my mind. So mm-hmm. they were giving me Valium. They were giving me, uh, and, and Ativan and all the benzos. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. They were giving me opioids. They were giving me codeine, Oxycontin, morphine, really anything that I wanted. And that was, they gave me the prescriptions like week after week, month after month. You know, I could have as much of it as I wanted. And I also smoked a lot more pot at that point because pot had never been a problem for me, but it became a problem. You know, all of those substances in the human system are depressants. They're not like cocaine that makes you, whoa, you know, they're (laughs) depressants. And so by the end of about 15 years of this, of being an opioid addict without even realizing it for 15 years, I hit a very low bottom emotionally. Wow. I I got to a place where, you know, I was still really sick with Crohn's. I was in pain all the time. It was horrible. It's a such a debilitating, difficult to manage disease. Yeah. Um, and it's embarrassing because, you know, it's stuff that nobody wants to deal with. Yeah, so the toilet. I was at a place and yeah, I was at a place in my life where I really wasn't sure I wanted to live anymore. So I would say that I was suicidal. I started to think about how many bottles of pills I had in my bathroom cupboard. You know, I started to think about how I could take them and nobody would find me in time. I lived alone. I worked a shift, you know, two days off and four days on and I could I could take these pills and no one would know. Yeah. And so I I think that everybody goes through a period of their lives where they they come up with that quintessential question of should I stay or should I go and all kinds of different scenarios. Yeah. My question was pretty loaded. You know, am I going to live or am I going to die? And if I'm not going to die, then I need to learn how to live because I don't know how, I didn't know how to live. I was an addict. I was an addict, mostly in isolation. Mm -hmm. My world had become very small. I was still very sick because these painkillers don't get rid of Crohn's. They just mask it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there was one day when I thought about this quite a bit. And, you know, instead of swallowing my pills, I picked up the phone and I called the Vancouver Crisis Center, which I had never done before. And whoever it was that talked to me, this was 35 years ago. This was in 1987. And Mm. whoever it was who talked to me saved my life because they were so respectful and they really heard me. They really listened to me. And, you know, I went on to get more help and got into recovery. And one day at a time, I'm 35 years clean and sober. Who knew that would ever happen? That is amazing. But here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that powerful story because I'm sure... I'm sure the listeners who are dealing with an addict, like not every addict looks the same. Not everyone who is addicted to a substance is in the same situation. You're giving a very different perception of what maybe what other people think. Someone living on the street and by themselves yep. and a bit haggard. Exactly. So yeah, you wouldn't have known. Forward. Sorry. Yeah. You wouldn't have known that yes. I was an addict. Yeah. Like a but highly functioning addict. <laughs> yep. Yes. Um, until I wasn't, until I could do it no longer, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 But that's a lot of years. So a lot of years. 
what is this what made you decide to get in the addictions field because of your experience or what was it? Yeah, you know, I I really like to help. I'm a helper. I'm a healer. At that point, I had no idea how I was going to do that. But I've been a teacher. You know, I was the teacher that all the kids came to when they were in trouble. I was that teacher. I was a counselor working with teens that who were in, in trouble. When I had my breakdown, that's what I was doing. So it wasn't too far of a stretch. But yeah. it took me about three years from that bottom to where I felt healthy enough yeah, emotionally, physically, to be able to work. And at that point, I'd been in recovery for about three years. And mm -hmm. I knew about addiction. And I really wanted to be able to give back the help that I had gotten. So I decided to make a career change. And I, I wanted to work in the addictions field. Yeah. And I went looking for a job. And I was offered a job in a nonprofit uh, agency in the downtown east side of Vancouver and that's like the lowest postal code lowest income postal yes. code in yes. Canada so it's it's where so many of the people who are addicted who are have mental health issues who are homeless you know yeah. and that's where I was and I worked there for about 16 years wow. and got an education that I just yeah. could never have gotten anywhere else I yes. loved it I absolutely loved it and yeah, the, I think you. We were going to talk a little bit about what what got me into working with families. Yeah, that's that's where I wanted to go next because you do <clears throat> focus on supporting families. I do. Yeah, and 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 one of the reasons is that there's so much help out there in in virtually every city and town now. There's so much help out there for addicts. You know, mm -hmm. there's treatment centers, there's rehabs, there's detoxes, there's self help groups, there's counselors, there's all kinds of things for the addict, but there's not very much at all for the families. And the families don't know what to do. They're terrified their addict is going to die. Yeah. They're bewildered. They're so confused. They don't, they tried everything, you know. So what happened when I was working in the downtown east side was that for some reason, this kind of fell in my lap. It's not something I, I went after, but yeah. the families of the, my clients, the addicts and the alcoholics, started calling me and oh. they started saying, we are at the end of our rope. We don't know what to do. Can you help us? And I remember thinking, I have no idea how to help you. <laughs> but I said, yes, come in. Let's talk about this. And so this happened over and over. Yeah. It, it happened once and then it happened again. And, you know, and I was listening to their stories I was listening to what they were doing with their addicts. There was so much enabling behavior going on. <laughs> um, and I started to see a pattern. And the definition that I like of enabling yeah. is when you do something for somebody else that they can and actually should be doing for themselves. Mm. They should be doing for themselves. And that goes on for, you know, fairly consistently in the family. You're doing their laundry, you're giving them money, you're letting them um, live in your house, even though they're behaving obnoxiously. You know, this is not okay. This kind of behavior is not okay. And if, yeah. if family members keep enabling the addicts, what we know today is that an enabled addict does not recover. Mm. Because really, why should they? Yeah. You and know? I want to just point out something to the listeners here. 
you were saying, you know, they, the family were calling you and having a need and it happened over and over and over again. So a lot of our listeners are business owners. So I want you to think about listeners. Is there a time in your business where you've had people asking you a specific question, just like they were doing with Candace here and asking you how to do something or support with something or presenting a problem. This is an opportunity to maybe go in that direction in your business or to offer a new service. So that's kind of what, what you did. Yeah. You You say, you say, yes, I'll help you. I may not know exactly how right now, but I'll find out. I'll figure it out. But, you know, I'd like to say something else to to the business owners that are listening. Um, Families of addicts are everywhere. This is such a rampant problem now. And most everybody knows that. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening, you may be a family that's having trouble with addiction, or you might have an employee who is having trouble with addiction. You're not quite sure why they're behaving so strangely, but they're not sleeping at night because they're so scared. You know, so you might want to just be thinking about that. You might have some, some employees or some people that you know who need some help. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now you have a book, it's called Loving an Addict, Loving Yourself, the top 10 survival tips for loving someone with an addiction. Awesome. How did you get the idea for this book? Yeah, this was really interesting, because in some ways, I feel like, I feel like the book wrote itself. This book was supposed to be written, kind of. (laughs) Um, And, and when I, it's, it's won several awards. And Mm. You know, when I think about that, coming from the past that I came from, I was an addict for a long time. And now here I am as an author, a speaker, a therapist, um, you know, so people can change. And that's one of the things I really want to say, because you would not have wanted to know me back then Mm. at all. (laughs) You know, I didn't want to know myself either. Right. That gives people hope that even after 15 years. Yeah that someone can turn things around, be very yes. successful, be a very great member of society and 35 years in sober. Like that's yes. so absolutely amazing. What it takes is a choice. Hmm. You know, whether you see addiction as a disease as they do in 12 step programs, if you think of it as uh, genetic predisposition, yeah. which the scientists have not quite yet all agreed to, but I see it a lot. I see it run in families. But even if it's running in your family, even if you grew up in a home where you had addiction, that doesn't mean you have to become an addict. You can choose True. not to do that. True. It's a choice underneath everything. Yeah. And I make a choice every single day. I don't even think about it anymore. But there was a time when I had to think about it because yes. I wanted to use every second of the day and had to make a decision every second of the day not to. And that's how you become clean and sober. And any addict can do that. And it's the same for the families who are enabling. You can make a decision not to do that anymore because it's really not a loving act. So I thought I would just put that out there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But how I wrote the book, is that what you or why I wanted to write the book? Yeah. Well, I the idea for your book, I love how you just said it kind of wrote itself. Yeah. That's something that I think that listeners also need to look at in their lives is where is something just calling you and that it just will kind of flow out of you. But yeah. the, the book is is wonderful. I have my own copy of it cited mm. to, to be able to get into that. And you actually have a gift 
for yes. the audience. So yes, I have a gift. It's tip number three. And if it's okay, I'll just read it out loud. Or, or do we let them? Just the title. Just the title. Right, of well, okay. it. Just the tip. Okay, let me just find it here. Okay, so tip number three is you cannot control or fix another person. So stop trying. <laughs> and then with each, with each tip, <laughs> yeah, it is for everybody in every situation. Yeah. Uh, we like to think that we can control others, but we really can't. But no. for every tip, I have a quote from somebody else. Uh, they're not my quotes. No. And I just like to read the quote for this <laughs> tip because it's the best one in the book. And it's written by uh, Robert Heinlein, who was a wonderful science fiction author. He wrote Stranger in a Strange Land, one of my favorite books, because I always felt like I was a stranger in a strange land. Anyway, he says, never try to teach a pig to sing. It annoys the pig and it wastes your time. Mm. Yes, yeah, so stop so, trying to change people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the, the thing reason- is, the thing is, yeah. you and the work you do, you are supporting change in the mm-hmm. attics, which is mm-hmm. awesome. So for those of you who are wanting that gift, please just go to the show notes, find the link. It will take you directly to be able to go and get a, a whole chapter in the book, not just that little piece, but more, more yeah. content there. So check it out. And even better, just buy the book, just buy the book. There you go. You get the whole thing. Uh, well, let's talk about these families, right? What are some main messages that you want families to understand? Okay. I think the first message is what I said a little while ago about how an enabled addict doesn't doesn't recover, doesn't change. There's no incentive for them to change. If you're going to do everything for an addict, yeah. you know, on paper, they've got it made. But what's really happening is they hate themselves, they hate their lives, they know that their lives are a mess. Yeah. They look around at other people in their lives, maybe the same age as they are, perhaps, and they have families, they have children, they have a job, they're kind of happy in their lives. And the addicts know that. They know what you want to do if, if you're a family member is stop making it comfortable for the addict <laughs> to be in addiction. <laughs> Because really what you want, you love your addict. You remember what you, what they were like before they were addicted. Yeah. That's who you want back. And if you make it comfortable, they're just going to stay there. Guaranteed. They're just going to stay there. So we have to raise the bar and we have to start making it more uncomfortable, but from a loving place, you know, yeah. not a place of anger, but a loving, understanding place. Yeah. Addicts can change. Addicts can change. Yeah, they can. And, and, and But here's the thing. If you want your addict to change, guess who's going to have to change first? Uh, maybe me or maybe a yeah. right? family member. As, family has to change. My, as, you know, as my trainer, as my trainer would say when I don't want to lift something heavy, she says, sorry, not sorry. So <laughs> I say to you, sorry. Not sorry, but if if you want your attitude to change, but you're not willing to make some changes that you need to make in this relationship, it's not going to work. So you need to be willing to do, you need to be willing to do what's right for your addict, what's best for your addict, even if it's uncomfortable for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's true in all, in all relationships, we need to look to ourselves first, 
Yes. You, you talked about enabling. I want to jump to that because mother mothering, right? We're dynamic women. We, a lot of us are moms. So there's a lot of mothering that happens. And so maybe people are thinking, I'm just helping them, but really Mm -hmm. we're enabling them. So Mm -hmm. can you explain the difference between enabling and helping, uh, especially in regards to the addict that that people love? Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So the addict comes to you and says, mom, I need 20 bucks. And you say, "Mm, I don't know, because you know where that, 20 bucks is going to go. Yeah. go down their throat, into their arm, up their nose, something, right? You know where the 20 bucks is going to go. So they're going to say, mom, I need 20 bucks. And if you pause, they're going to say, mom, I need 20 bucks. And if you pause, they're going to say, mom, give me 20 bucks. Thing is that most, most family members of addicts don't like conflict. Yeah. If you're listening and you're in the situation or you know somebody who is, we don't like conflict. Yeah. And we don't want to have, we don't want somebody getting mad at us. And we especially don't want an addict getting mad at us because their temper can be really bad. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so we kind of go into this fight or flight mode and chuck a 20 out of 20 bucks. That's right. (laughs) But that 20 bucks is, you know, where it's going, it's going to keep your addict stuck. And so, what you want to be able to do is in a non-charged moment, not when he's asking you or she is asking you for money, but in another moment, you want to be able to say to them, you know what? I love you so much. I love you so much. And because I love you, I'm not going to be giving you 20 bucks anymore. And I just want you to understand, I don't want to support addiction. I won't support addiction. I will support recovery. And so when you're ready to be in recovery, come to me and let me know that because I'll be there for you. But I don't want to see you in addiction. It breaks my heart. It's not good for you. So I'm not going to be doing those things anymore. Just so you know. Mm. And as as the family members start to do that, things start to change. The addict says, "Uh uh-oh. You mean I'm not going to be able to manipulate you the way I used to be able to? Now, my... I just, my brain goes to that place of, because I have children and they're persistent. Um, and I'm guessing an addict is also very persistent that even though you told them, I'm not giving you money anymore, that the next day they're going to come to you and say, where's my 20 bucks? You know, honey, I love you so much that I'm not going to give you 20 bucks today. Mm, so that's the helping. That's, that's the really helping. helping. Because we've been loving our addicts to death. <laughs> True. So many of them True. are dying out there. It's a societal True. enabling too. It's not just in families. We do it as a society. And when we stop enabling and we start to help by saying no, by having different strategies about how to deal with addiction, things change. Yeah. And the reason things haven't been changing in so many places that more and more addicts are dying out there is because too much enabling is happening everywhere. Hmm. it's just not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you stop someone from engaging in addictive behaviors? Can you? Well, you, you can't force somebody to stop because, you know, we live on a planet of free will and we each get to make our own choices. So you can't stop an addict from using if they're going to use, but you can make it uncomfortable for them to continue doing that. Hmm, and that's when they start to 
that's when they start to think, well, maybe I don't really like this life so much. It's not, it's not fun anymore. It's not, I mean, addiction is not fun. Let's, I just want to say that we've got this euphemistic word that people are out partying, you know, it's not a party. It's a party maybe once in a while, if you've got a bunch of people together, most of the time, it's horrible to be in addiction. And what you want to be able to do is start loving your addict to life instead of loving them to death. I have a TED talk, a TEDx talk. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. And it's called How to Love with Boundaries. And if you just Google my name and TEDx, it will come up. And I talk about what happens in these families and what needs to happen instead. So I hope that some of you will go and, and, and it and I answer the comments that are that are placed there. So if if you want to leave a comment, I'll answer you. Awesome. So actually, this is a good time for and we're going to get into like, what do you do this holiday season with the addicts, right? Because you don't want a gong show at Christmas dinner. Uh, we'll get to that. in Right. A moment, but You've mentioned so people can grab a chapter of your book, they can get your book, they can go watch your TED talk, they can comment and connect with you there. But what if someone is like, oh my, I need to talk to Candace now. Like we are in a bad place. My family is struggling with this family member or someone is like, okay, I'm an addict and you're going to get me. How do people reach out to you? What's the best path for them? Well, what we do, my, my company is called Love With Boundaries because we need to love with boundaries. If we don't love with boundaries, then we're enabling. If we don't have self-respecting boundaries, then we're letting people bulldoze all over us. And that's not a good idea for anybody. Um, So what we do at Love With Boundaries, I have a, a team of just wonderful counselors who work with me. We offer a free, absolutely no strings attached, a free 30 minute consultation where you tell us a little bit about yourself and what's going on. We tell you how we work. And if it's a fit, then we just go ahead and start. And if it isn't, that's fine. And the way to be able to get the 30 minute consultation, we usually do them by zoom, sometimes by phone, the way to get it on the website, lovewithboundaries.com is a link to our questionnaire. And it's not a long, it's a short questionnaire. And you, again, you're just telling us a little bit about what's going on for you and how best to reach you. And we, we understand that addiction does not wait. It doesn't wait. So we don't wait either. As soon as we get your form, your, your questionnaire, we reach out to to you right away and we set up that call for you. Yeah. Well, good. So good. So we'll make sure. And if I can just say we, because we work, we work exclusively on zoom. And so we're all over the world and we, we were just talking to somebody in Finland the other day. Like we've got clients everywhere. As long as you can speak English, we can help you no matter where you live, no matter what time zone you're in. That's great. Yeah. Cause our listeners are all over. Um, so that's great that, to know that that yeah. they can be supported by you and your team. So all the all the info for that website, all that'll be in the in the notes, so that people can Good. easily go and click, or hey, just go Google and Google, and you'll find it out. So yeah. let's jump into the holiday season. This is a, yes. it's, it's a difficult time of the year without addiction. So for families dealing with addiction, it's even more. How can they deal with this in yeah. a healthier way, in a more self-respecting way? Yeah, possible. Well. I would say, first of all, anytime a TV commercial comes on from now until after Christmas, don't watch it. 
because you know they're they're giving you this message of everybody's so happy there's all these presents we're drinking with our friends we're all smiling and for most people especially families with addiction that is not the case please know that you're not alone in the way you feel about this so that's the first thing is if you're shaming yourself at all about this please try to stop doing that yeah. um it's it's a normal and natural way to feel about the holidays if you've got an addict in your life. And some families have even more than one addict in their lives. So yeah. what I suggest to people is that, you know, a little while before the holidays are going to start, like people in the U.S., we've already had Thanksgiving in Canada, but people in the U.S. and other places in the world have Thanksgiving coming up. Then there's Christmas, then there's New Year's. It's like this vicious triangle of, of times, um, what you need to do is come up with a strategy of how you want to deal with this and be giving your addict a choice about whether to come to your event or not, if you want to invite them. So the family needs to be as united as possible on this. And it's something that we can help you with at Love With Boundaries as well. What you want to be able to say to the person that you're not sure whether you want to invite is we love you. We miss you. We really would like to have you at our gathering. What we're, what we're doing this year is to have, is to have no substances that are addictive. So we, if a family wants to do that, they can have wine there, but if they're asking or something, but if they're asking their addict to be sober, they might want to think about, you know, supporting the addict that way. So, but, but really to say to the addict, what we want this year, what we expect is that you will stay clean and sober. You will arrive clean and sober. You will stay clean and sober. You don't go into the bathroom for a line of Coke. You stay clean and sober for the couple of hours that we're doing, that we're together. We'd love to have you there if you think that you can do that. If you think that you can do that and you come to the, to the event, the dinner, whatever, then if you make a different choice and you decide you're going to drink or you decide you're going to use, and we see that this is happening, we're going to take your car keys and we're going to call a cab or an Uber for you. And we're going to pour you into the car and off you'll go home. Yeah. You won't be driving yourself home. And, you know, we're, it's just not something that we're going to tolerate this year. We really want you to be there. Yeah. And these are the these are the conditions for having you there. And these are the consequences if you come and, and don't and yes. don't participate in that way. Yes, yes. Listeners, did you hear that? Very clear intention setting, boundaries. But the key thing here is sticking to it. So yep. I'm glad that you, you support people through that because it can be hard yeah. in the moment to be able to really stick to those boundaries, but it, yeah. it, make sure you're giving, make sure you're talking as a family first, maybe a couple of weeks before, you know, you're, you're going to have the, the event, make sure your addict knows beforehand so that they can make a choice. They can say to you, you know, I don't know if I can stay clean and sober to say, okay, well, you don't have to come. If you want to come and you want to try, We'd love to have you. And if you don't stay clean and sober, this is what will happen. Because a boundary without a consequence 
that means something to the person you're setting the boundary with yeah. is kind of just a sentence. Yeah, exactly. There has to be a consequence that means something, something to, to the that. addict. Yeah. 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 And it needs to be maintained. If you're not going to maintain it, don't, don't make, don't, yeah, don't, don't set bother. the boundary <laughs> because, because they'll poke at you until you cave. You've caved before. They'll poke at you. If you set a boundary, they'll test you. I remember being an addict. They'll test you. Because you know? <laughs> you've tested others. You know, you've been there. Wow. Well, let's yeah. get to, uh, as we kind of wrap this up, final message that you have, Candice, for the listeners of loved ones who are addicts or of addicts. Like, what's the yeah. final message? Well, you know, and I love it when when an addict fills out a questionnaire. I think it's so cool. But we'll, we usually work with the families first until the addict is ready to work with us. That's generally how it happens. Yeah. So my first one, I got two. My first one is please don't ever give up mm. because, you know, there's always hope if your addict is still here. If your addict is still alive, there's hope. And you know what? If anybody's listening and your addict isn't still here, I'm, my heart goes out to you. There are so many people that are going to be dealing with that this year. And my suggestion would be that you have a chair at your dinner table to honor that person and remember that person with as much love as you can. But don't give up. Don't don't mm. give up. You know, you can close the door with an addict, but don't ever deadbolt it. Don't lock it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because in any split second, the addict could say to himself, I want to change. I, yeah. I don't want this anymore. And yeah. they need to be able to come back to you, you know? Nice. So Let's jump, Let's the jump second, to the second point. Yeah. The second point is I have this as a tagline on my website. If nothing changes, nothing changes. So if you keep doing what you've always done, you're going to keep getting what you've always gotten. Yeah, true. So there are some changes that need to be made here. It is very, very possible, absolutely, to kick addiction to the curb. It's not a disease that people are powerless over. Mm. If it was a disease that people were powerless over, I wouldn't be 35 years clean and sober. I would probably be dead. Everybody in recovery like me, knows that it's a choice. Every day, it's a choice. Yeah. And we can change. But family members need to do the helpful things. Need Your, your addicts need you, but they need you to be healthy. Yes. They need True. you to be healthy with them. True. Well, I thank you so much, Candice, for coming here today to talk about how to love our addicts, right? And also stay healthy and take care of ourselves in the same same way. So some of the key things yep. I'm, I'm taking away is the difference between enabling and helping that there yep. is always hope. If your yep. addict is still alive, there is always hope yes. that everyone has a choice and that we often have to start with ourselves and change ourselves before we can you know, look to have our loved one change themselves. Pretty much. Yep. So thank you, thank you, you so much uh, to all of you out there listening. 
what was your favorite piece about this interview with Candace and the, all the stuff that she shared? Uh, we'd love to hear it. So please write a comment. Maybe you have a friend, a family member, coworker who maybe needs to hear this episode. Please share it over with them. Uh, and also, if you haven't write, written a review yet, please do so. And when you do, then please screenshot it. Send it to team at dianerolston.com along with your mailing address so we can send you a little something special in the mail. And so, again, thank you, Candice. And to all my listeners, please stay dynamic. Take care. Bye. Bye, everyone. dynamic women for joining us today please hop on over to itunes to subscribe and leave us a review who do you know who needs to hear our message we'd love it if you'd share our channel with your friends and family if you're ready to be more dynamic have more balance and more success head over to www.dynamicwomenclub.com forward slash free gift for your key to success book stay dynamic